Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Bro, where do I even start with this New England Patriots game, team, performance? Where do I start? There's so many good talking points about this game. How the offense looked good, how the defense looked bad, Mac Jones' mistakes, Damian Harris, JC Jackson getting, you know, torched. It's just Depending on the the perspective, there's a lot of good talking points. It depends on what those talking points are. We'll determine if they're good or not. There's a lot to discuss about in this game. There's so much to break down from this game. And we're going to do all that here in today's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. So with that being said, how are you doing today? Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. And thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying Murph's Boston Sports Talk. This is <clears throat> This is episode number 97. We are inching closer to 100, and at the end of this episode, I will tell you what I will be doing for the 100th episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I finally figured it out. I finally decided, and if you voted on my Instagram poll, you probably know what it is, but just in case you didn't, you'll be able to find out the end of this episode and go check out my Instagram, Twitter, at Murph's Cartown for all the latest in regards to Murph's Cartown and Sports Shop or Murph's Boston Sports Talk, my wonderful podcast that you are listening to right now. So with all that being said, hopefully you had a fantastic weekend where you're able to enjoy the weather, watch some nice football games, whatever it may be. Hopefully you have a great week planned ahead as the weather is starting to get colder and colder. It was nice last week. And there's going to be a couple nice days this week. But those nice warm fall days are looking to be behind us now. Ugh, and I hate the freaking cold weather so much. Anyways, you're not here for that. In today's episode, we will be talking Cowboys, Patriots. We will be talking about the Patriots moving forward. We're going to be breaking down the NFL scores from this past week. See which games I got right, see what games I got wrong. We're going to be talking about Red Sox-Astros Game 3 at Fenway Park tonight. Best of 7 series. Tied 1-1 is essentially a best of 5 now with the Red Sox stealing home field advantage. And then additionally, towards the end of the episode, we're going to take a look at the National League Championship Series and just see what's going on over there. Are the Dodgers' reign coming to an end? Are the Braves finally going to make it back to the World Series after years of an absence? We're not going to talk too much about that because obviously, you know, this is a Boston sports-based podcast. But I feel like I would be negligent if I didn't take a peek over to the National League on to who, if the Red Sox were to win, their opponent could be. And just to see what's going on over there. Dodgers, Braves, a lot of people would expect the Dodgers. However, hold the phone. Braves are up 2-0 in the series, so it's getting pretty dicey over there. And they won both of those games at home, 
So now they got to go to LA. Could be different. But we'll dive more into that later towards the end of the episode. But this game for the New England Patriots, I have so much, so freaking much to talk about in this game. I just, I liked, I saw a lot of good things from this team. I did. In retrospect, I also saw a lot of bad things from this team as well. Ultimately, it's nice to see that you can dance with what seems to be one of the best teams in the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys. Go punch for punch, back and forth, similar to how you played against the Buccaneers just a couple weeks ago. Almost able to dethrone the champions and dance with them. You can play with the best of the best. That is a proven factor. You have the capability, the skills, the playability, the players to play with the 5-1 and one teams, the 4-2 and two teams, the teams that are expected to be in the playoffs. You have that ability. You can do that. If it wasn't for a little fumble, a dink, a duke, uh, a bad kick, or whatever it may be, you would be in a much better position. And real, pause real quick. The Dolphins are 1-5 after losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars in London, of all places. And their only one win of the year is against you in Week 1. So they're essentially should, they should be an 0-6 team if Damian Harris held on to the ball. But that's besides the point, and you'd be 3-4 and four right now. That's besides the point. I already made a video about that. Definitely go check out yesterday's video. Does Mac Jones suck? I'll link that video in the description below. But go check it out because I break down everything up until this week, obviously, because I recorded it before this week started. I talked about everything Mac Jones, statistics, skills, record, everything you need to know to help you determine if Mac Jones sucks, all by giving my personal opinion. I will link that video down below in the description for if you're watching this episode here on YouTube, if you're listening to audio-only platforms, definitely go check out my channel at Murph's Car Town and Sports Shop, where every single podcast episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, vlogs, discussion, gameplay, everything is on my YouTube channel. So definitely go give that channel a look, and definitely please consider subscribing to it, as I would greatly appreciate your support. Back to the game. Mac Jones was efficient. He was consistent. The interception didn't look ugly. That fumble where he got pancaked, socked, demolished by Randy Gregory. Not his fault. You can't blame him for that. Anyone in the league would have got would have fumbled that ball. That was a train wreck of a hit. You can't blame him for that. You have to keep in mind he's still a rookie quarterback. He's showing a lot of promise. He showed you that he is able to potentially or at least put you in a position to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. Mac Jones was shown to put the Patriots in a game-winning position by taking the lead and also mounting a comeback several times throughout this game and also the game against the Buccaneers as well. And if you want to even throw that Texans game in there last week where they did have to come from behind, you may do so as well. So Mac Jones is not the problem here, at least in this game. And generally speaking, he's not the problem. Yeah, 15 for 21 doesn't look great. 229 yards, a little lackluster, two touchdowns. That's nice. The one interception was brutal. Was that a bad throw? It was a little offline. Should, um, was it Kendrick Bourne, I believe? Did he lose his footing? It kind of looked like it. Should he still have that ball? Maybe, maybe not. It's, oh, man, it's... But the offense, I don't think, was the problem. They scored the most points all season, 29 points. They scored the most points they've ever had this whole season. You know, the running game, which I've been emphasizing for weeks now. Damian Harris, 18 carries, 101 yards, one touchdown. Ramondre Stevenson, 5 carries, 23 yards, and a touchdown. There we go. Like, I mean... You ran the ball 23 times between those two guys. You're getting 124 yards and two touchdowns. I'm not complaining about that. I think that's very good. I think that's very good. Damian Harris should be a 100-yard rusher. He should be getting close to 20 carries, especially with a rookie quarterback under center. And then Ramondre Stevenson 
getting anywhere between four to eight carries a game, maybe a couple passes, which he did. He caught three balls for 39 yards. And while we're talking about the running backs, Damian Harris caught one pass for seven yards. So not only are running backs getting involved in the passing game, they're also getting heavily, I mean, not only are they getting involved in the running game, excuse me, but they're also slightly getting involved in the passing game as well, which is something the Patriots offense is accustomed to with James White, Deion Lewis, uh, Shane Vereen, Kevin Falk. I mean, look at all the running backs we've had over the years, all the pass-catching running backs. That's just how the Patriots offense is built. That's how it's built. And to be able to get a little bit of production in the passing game by Ramondre Stevenson is pleasant because I've mentioned this at the beginning of the season that Ramondre Stevenson reminds me of a LeGarrette Blunt type player. Physical, the strength, the size, but he can catch the ball too. No idea what just happened there. He can catch the ball too. LeGarrette Blunt didn't catch the ball. So to be able to have Ramondre Stevenson in there and having to defend both the pass and the run threat throws the defense you know, off balance a little bit because way back when the Patriots had Blunt, White, you know who was going to be running the ball. It would be LeGarrette Blunt. When he's out there, crowd the box, it's going to be a run. When James White was out there, you know that he wasn't going to be getting the ball handed off. It was going to be a pass. And then when Deion Lewis was out there, it was a little bit of like, oh, they could run it, they could pass it with him. You just never even knew. And Rondo Stevenson's kind of turning into that a little bit where Oh, they could run the ball. They could also pass the ball. So it's good to have that dual threat running back in your lineup, in your backfield, to help keep the opposing defense off balance. Because Damian Harris, they're trying to work him into the passing game. I don't think it's all going to be there well. Yeah, it would be great if he was, but I'm not going to complain and say he had a bad day just because he caught one ball for seven yards. On the other hand, while he runs 18 times for 101 yards, and I've been preaching that the running game needs to significantly improve and to take a lot of pressure, weight off of Mac Jones. And one thing that's getting overlooked from this Patriots team is the offensive line. The second week in a row was five, uh, four offensive players, four off- starting offensive linemen were... Inactive, I believe. I think David Andrews is like the only one that's playing. So you have to take that into consideration as well. You are literally throwing your backups, backups out there. Practice squad players, like some young guys who, you know, still need some grooming. And we're just getting thrown into the fire against, you know, Texans weren't that good of a team, but at least against the Cowboys, they did okay. I think they did okay. Let's uh, uh, the Cowboys. Gregory had the two sacks, and that was it. That was it. Was the two sacks? I don't have like the pressure number, under pressure, whatever, in, in comparison to dropbacks. But two sacks with the offensive line that we threw out there yesterday, just from face value, I'll take it. I will take it. Ah, but enough about the offense. I mean, Jacoby Myers made a few nice catches. Hunter Henry, nice touchdown catch. Aguilar was kind of quiet except that one for 27. Kendrick Bourne was nowhere to be seen except for that one for 75 to give the Patriots the lead again. I'm done talking about the offense. You know, you know my stance on the offense. They played very good today. A lot of improvement could be made, yes, around the offensive line. And obviously the running game was nice to see it actually exist. And if the running game can stay consistent like that, those two guys run the ball 25 times together for, you know, 120 to 140 yards. I'll take it. I will take it. But the passing game, I feel like, I feel like is quite lackluster, which is something that may need to start to have its own work done. But I want to, pivot from the offense and I want to talk about the defense they suck they <laughs> they just straight suck yo going into this year you have Kyle Duggar big second year Jalen Mills who you signed from the Eagles Dietrich Wise gonna have a big year Matthew Judon you got from the Ra- uh you signed from the Ravens McCourty Hightower 
you know, he's coming back. Van Noy's back. J.C. Jackson going to take a huge step up. Jamie Collins is back from Detroit. Christian Barmore, your second-round pick. Ugh. This defense gives up 22 points to the Texans, 35 to the Cowboys. Yeah, they, they played nice against the Buccaneers. I mean, the weather wasn't great, so, I mean, but Brady doesn't care about the weather. He's been in this New England weather before. He's been in it worse. He knows that the rain is going to go sideways, and he has to throw the ball through the rain and stuff like that, and they made Brady look mediocre. Where was that last week and this past week against the Cowboys and Texans? The two uh, Houston teams, right? Where was that? Because early on, first half, defense did a good job at bending and not breaking. Yeah, they gave it the touchdown the first quarter. You know, from there, just a field goal in the first half. Only 10 points. Looked really good. You know, obviously you could tell that there was some problems. J.C. Jackson looked terrible guarding uh, C.D. Lamb. Looked absolutely horrific. Jalen Mills didn't have a great day. The defensive line, I think they did a pretty good job. They got to Dak Prescott. They made him make throws maybe quicker than he wanted to, giving him pressure and all that. But countless times, there was receivers wide open, whether it was a tight end or a running back in a check down as a safety valve, wide freaking open, or there'd be a receiver maybe 10 to 20 yards downfield. That's just wide open. Now, I understand that the Patriots ran a ton of zone. A ton of zone, with the exception of maybe the cornerbacks. But holy smokes, whenever they did run man, it didn't look good. Whenever they were in zone, it's just like there were so many blank spots that were just there for the receivers to just sit and Dak could feed them. Now, was this great game planning by the Dallas Cowboys? Hey, send our three guys deep and we'll just have our safety valves over the middle and stretch the zone. Maybe, maybe, but I don't want to give Mike McCarthy that much freaking credit. So, I mean, when you look at it, it's just like they were all damn downfield, leaving like between the line of scrimmage and 15 yards wide open. It was just so infuriating, countless times. And then they couldn't stop the running game at all, whether it was Ezekiel Elliott running or Tony Pollard running. Did not freaking matter. They just couldn't stop the run, whether it was third and nine, whether it was first and ten, second and seven. Doesn't matter what it was. It felt like the Cowboys were always converting on third downs their punter punted the ball once for 51 yards just once and they faced a decent amount of third and medium and longs whether it was third and five third and seven third and ten whatever it may have been and the Patriots defense could just not stop them and don't even get do not get me started on the third and 25 play here I go you ready that third and 25 play was the turning point of that game. You could look at Mac Jones's pick six that he threw to Trayvon Diggs, by the way, who has glue for hands and catches anything within a 10-yard radius of him. You could look at that and be like, that was the turning point for the offense or the defense. Make up some shit. Go ahead. I don't care. But realistically, it wasn't. Pick didn't look good. Returning it for a touchdown doesn't look better. It is what it is. Okay? It is what it is. But you moved on. You were able to battle back a little bit. You were able to take the lead. You know, they tied. It was just back and forth. Here comes a third and 25. Yes, by the way. Yes, I do think the Patriots should have ran the ball there. I do believe they should have ran the ball there. I think the game management was a little bit poor. Was that Mac Jones' fault? I don't think so. I think that's more of a Josh McDaniels since he's calling the plays. So if you want to say, Mac, you shouldn't have thrown that ball. That should have been a run. Point to Josh McDaniels because McDaniels calls the plays on offense. Was it Mac Jones' fault for throwing the ball the way he did and how it got intercepted? Yeah, sure. Blame him for that. But blame McDaniels for calling the play if you're going to dish out blame. But the third and 25, oh my God, this was 
So the Cowboys get into field goal range. Then they get a couple penalties, pushes them out of field goal range. Here's a third and 25. A prayer. A third and a, I don't want to say a mile. A third and a, you know, whatever, a third and a long shot, right? All you need to do is keep the ball 15, like just don't give them anything more than 15 yards. Just don't give them anything more than 15 yards. Put them in an uncomfortable position to take a deep field goal. And what the Cowboys had to do yesterday was not a deep field goal. Was not a deep field goal. It was, what was it, a 40? I mean, was it a 49-yard? Yeah, I think it was a 49-yard, which is a deep field goal. Don't get me wrong. You know, 99.9% of people on this planet can't hit that. But in retrospect to a NFL kicker, that's a lot better than having to go out there for a 59-yard field goal, right? Oh, my God. It was, that, that was the turning point right there. The Cowboys got all the momentum on their drive, a big setback. They get bailed out. Again, J.C. Jackson was in coverage. Couldn't stop C.D. Lamb. Could not stop C.D. Lamb. If J.C. Jackson wants to get paid the big bucks and be a number one cornerback, for any team, hopefully it's the Patriots. Oh, it freaking better be the Patriots. He needs to make that ball incomplete. He had such a terrible day yesterday. Listen, the whole defense had a terrible day. You gave up thirty-five freaking points. You know, all you know, six was in overtime, and so there's no PAT. But you know, there was a PAT. Consider it thirty-six. For for the sake of argument, thirty-five points. You gave up. 25 points in the second half in overtime. 25 points. And one of the touchdowns that the Cowboys got, they went for two and didn't get it. So they're leaving a couple points on the board. Oh my God, it was so, it was so bad. It was so, so bad. You know, you struggle against the Texans last week, giving them a bunch of points early in the game, and then you hold the Fortress down. 22-9, to and the Patriots are able to come back and win. Defense looked miserable that first half, but then they stepped up that second half, and they were able to give the offense or put the offense in position to come back and win, which they eventually did. Granted, it's against the Texans, but still, when you're 1-4, I'm sorry, 1-3 at the time, you could use any small win you can get, right? Today, or I should say yesterday, it was the other way around. 10 points in the first half against a blazing hot Cowboys offense, against a perennial MVP contender in Dak Prescott, a stud of a running back when he's healthy and on, Ezekiel Elliott. Then you got CeeDee Lamb, Cooper, Elliott coming out of the backfield, Cedric Wilson who's coming on a little bit, Tony Pollard who's obviously good. It's just like, what are we freaking doing? I understand the secondary was all dinged up. Yeah, if we had Stefan Gilmore, he wouldn't have made an impact because he still would have been injured. So you can't blame Bill for trading Gilmore. But, come on. All we heard over the offseason was how the Patriots defense will be top 10. It will be lethal. It's so deep. The secondary is its strength. The front seven is revamped. Where is all that now? Where is all of that now? Because this team is 2-4 and four in reaching for any good, positive hope. This team, obviously you can kiss the playoffs, uh, not the playoffs, the division goodbye. You can kiss the division goodbye. Now, trust me, it helps that the the Jets are also one and five. It also helps that the um, the Dolphins are one and five. So it's like you got a little bit of breathing room. I'm sorry, the Jets are one and four. They were on a bye week this week. But you're only one game better than the Dolphins, and a half a game better than the Jets. The Bills are just in another. They the Bills are what you used to be. High powered. 3-1, and 4-1, and 5-1, you know, early out of the gate. 
a lead in the division early in the season by a couple games already. The division's already in hand. They are what you used to be. And now you are what they used to be. Two and four. A lot of playoff promise. Made a couple moves in the offseason. Have so much faith and hope and optimism. All to just crash and burn right in front of your eyes. This team is two and four right now. I did sit here at the beginning of the season when I made my uh, playoff predictions saying the Patriots will sneak in as a wildcard team. Do I still believe that? <sighs> Listen, I don't want to say nothing's nothing's impossible, but there's so many good teams out there right now. AFC wildcard standings. Let's just check the standings. Is this going to give me what I need? That's ah, no, that's not what I want. Come on, give me give me the link that I had before. Here we go. Okay. There's a lot of good teams in the AFC this year. A lot of them. The Vikings are 3 and 3 in the 7th seed right now in the NFC. They started the season 1 and 3. So they've won a couple games in a row. They're back in it, baby. These are the teams that are in front of you as of now. The Ravens, the Bills, the Chargers, the 3 and 2 Titans, the Four and two Bengals owning the first wild card spot. The four and two Raiders, the three and three Broncos who have fallen from grace. So maybe they're not as legit as we thought they were. The three and three Chiefs, the three and three Browns, the three and three Steelers. Then you at two and four, and the Colts are also two and four, who look like a train wreck the first five weeks, but they just destroyed. They just absolutely decimated the Texans team that you barely beat last week. Now, am I going to say say the Colts are better than you? I don't think they are. I don't think the Steelers are better than you. I don't think the Broncos are better than you. But this AFC conference is good. It's good. There's a lot of 4-2 and two teams. There's some 3-3 three and three, three, Three and three teams that should be better than that. There's some that should be worse than that. I don't want to say it's impossible for the Patriots to sneak into the wild card spot. But there needs to be a lot of things that a lot of things need to happen for this team. And I don't know if it can. I really don't. It would have been a great win. You know, one of those uh, previous three games that they lost before yesterday would have been instrumental because then you would have been three and three winning today's game yesterday's game would have gone so far because whether you did win one of those games before you'd be four and two and even if not you'd still be three and three so taking a look at the Patriots schedule moving forward I don't know how confident I feel in this team they're two and four right now up until Thanksgiving no, let's go to the end of November. Just the end of November. There's one, two, three, four, five, six games. And then that first game of December will be the first game against the Buffalo Bills. In the next six games, these Patriots need to go five and one. Like, I want to say, you know, four and two will do it, but four and two will just bring them to six and six, and that's a 500 record. All while the Broncos are three and three, the Chiefs are three and three, Steelers are three and three. Um, it's the 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 Vegas is four and two, the Bengals are four and two, the Colts are two and four. It's just like six and six isn't going to do it. Now, if you go five and one, and you can push yourself to seven and five, now we could be cooking. Now we could be cooking a little bit because maybe the Broncos will fade off. Maybe the Raiders or the Bengals might fall off. The Chiefs will probably sneak back in there. Um, maybe the the Steelers will kind of fall off. I mean, they got a easy. I don't want to say an easy win because it went to overtime, but they didn't have to play Russell Wilson last night. So maybe they kind of you know got a cheap win last night there. So maybe they fall off. The Browns are supposed to be legitimate. Oh, it's just you need to win the next. Five out of the six games before you play the Bills. Because honestly, when you play the Bills, I'm counting that as a loss. In all honesty, I really am. The Bills are just light years better than you. Offensively, 
defensively, it, their schemes, their personnel, their players, their play calls, it's just all so much better. You play the Jets Sunday, October 24th. That should be a win. Then you go to L.A. to play the Chargers on Halloween. That's probably going to be a loss. That's probably going to be a loss. I mean, would it be nice if you can win? Absolutely. Do I think you could win? I, I think you could win. Could win. And you definitely should win. Just because of how you know desperate the situation is. But I don't think they will. Then they play the Panthers in Carolina on November 7th. That looked like it was going to be a loss, but now it looks like it could be more even of a game because the Panthers have kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, let's see, where are the Panthers? They're still um, they're still in the wild. Oh, they're not in the wild card. They're 3-3. Three and three. They're right on the cusp. They're just out of it. But I think maybe the, uh, the Panthers falling off a little bit. Could that be a win? Yes. Should that be a win? Yes. Will that be a win? Can't guarantee anything anymore. At the beginning of the season, that yeah, that would have been a win. But Panthers have kind of run into a little bit of trouble here. So you just don't know. But that needs to be a win. Then you play the Browns at home November 14th. I don't friggin' know. Same with the Chargers. I mean, could that be a win? Yes. Should that be a win? Yes, just because of desperation. Will that be a win? I can't say. I can't say. I look at that matchup similar to how the Cowboys were. Good team, playing well, you know, expected to do good. Browns, they're 3-3. Three and three. I know they're kind of struggling a little bit as of late, but they're still a better team than you overall, and they'll probably end up winning that game. Patriots visit Atlanta to uh, play against the Falcons. Falcons are currently – what's their record? It's not good, I don't think. Uh, they're 2-3 and three currently. They're on a bye week this week. And should that be a win? Yes. Could that be a, could that be a win? Yes. Will that be a win? Beginning of the season, yeah. But now I don't know. I just do not know. Titans visit Patriots November twenty eighth. Same thing I've, I said about the Browns, about the Panthers, Falcons, Chargers. Could that be a win? Yeah. Should that be a win out of desperation? Yes. Will that be a win? I don't know. And then you play the Bills. I was only able to sit here and tell you one win for certain, and that's the Jets. Chargers, Panthers, Browns, Falcons, Titans are the five opponents that the Patriots play post the Jets next week. The Patriots could lose all five of those games. But I'm sitting here telling you they need to win, including the Jets game, five of six of those games in order to have any shot at a wild card spot because seven and five will put you one giant step above six and six. Because I think four and two is probably the bare minimum. But if you want any realistic chance, seven and five. You have to go five and one in the next six games resulting in a 7-5 and five overall record through 12 weeks. It is not a comfortable time to be a Patriots fan right now. Is there a lot of promise and a lot of hope moving forward? Yes. But in terms of comfort, in terms of what we see on the field, it's a shaky time. Every Sunday, we're still going to get excited for Mac Jones because he is the future of this team. He is not the sole reason why we are 2-4. and four. He is not. Has he made a couple dumb plays? Sure. Has he made a couple great plays? Absolutely. But like I said in my Mac Jones sucks, does Mac Jones suck video, which I will leave in the description. I will leave a link to it in the description below if you're watching this on YouTube. I go way deeper into it, how I talk about Mac Jones being this good among quarterbacks, that good among quarterbacks, this bad among quarterbacks and such like that. And how he's only a rookie. And look at all the other rookies that are playing right now. Fields, 1-2 and two as a starter. Uh, Lance just being named the starter because of a Garoppolo injury. Wilson and Lawrence, they blow. Well, so far, I should say. And then there's Mac Jones, who's playing fairly decent. But go check out that video if you want more about Mac Jones. But I, I, I'll talk way more about the Patriots come Friday. And I know I talked about them a bunch today. 
But come Friday, I'll break down the Jets game. Obviously, I'll break down scores around the NFL, which you know I will get to in just a moment here. But leaving this Cowboys game, there's some good things to feel. You were able to dance with one of the best teams in the NFL. You were able to put up 29 points. You were able to go back and forth and come back to a degree. You were able to make some plays when needed. But the bad things is you gave up 35 points, 25 in the second half in overtime. Defense did not look good. You need more from your receivers. Whoever they are, running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, doesn't matter. Oh, and then another good thing is the running game had a great bounce back week. Let's see that continue. So moving forward, Patriots are now getting to desperation mode. Two and four is a huge uphill battle to climb from. I'm not going to count them out just yet, but it doesn't look good. It does not look good. But that will be it for my Patriots segment. Let's move over to the NFL schedules and see how I did in predicting those games. Buccaneers beated the Eagles 28-22. I was not able to predict that game, but just as a refresher, the Buccaneers won on Thursday. The Jaguars beat the Dolphins in the great country of London, England. Well, I guess that's a city, but England is the country. London is the city. You know what I'm saying. Just, you know what I'm saying. Jaguars did win on a 53-yard bomb that barely went in. The kicker, Wright, I believe his last name is, hit a 54 and a 53-yarder to tie it and then win it. I believe I did predict that the Jaguars would win this game. Yeah. Vikings beat the Panthers. I believe I had the Vikings winning. I don't I don't remember. Hmm. I think I said I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings win. And it'd be a huge test to for the Panthers, which they didn't did not live up to. Ravens destroyed the Chargers. I had the Chargers winning, and I said that I would not be surprised if the Ravens won. But I am surprised that they won 34-6. Are the Chargers not for real. Were we all fooled by the first five weeks of the season? Let me know. Reach out to me social media at Murph's Car Town or reach out to me down in the comment section below if you're watching on YouTube. Are the charges for real or were we all fooled? Let me know your thoughts. Rams decimated the Giants, which I predicted. The Colts beat the Texans 31 to 3. Absolutely destroyed them. Who are now the Colts are now two and four, the same as you, but you struggled to beat the Texans last week. So I mean. Could the Colts be better than you? Maybe. Absolutely, maybe. And I'm glad the Colts won because that means I am 6-0 and in my survival league. So, yippee. Chiefs came back to beat the Washington football team 31-13. to Football team had a lead for a little bit in that game. Then the Chiefs took it right back and took complete control of that game. Packers defeated the Bears 24-14, which I did predict. I thought that game would be a little bit better. But a 10-point game, can't really complain, but it was just not a lot of action. Bengals defeated the Lions 34-11. Bengals beating the teams that they should. Bengals are also trying to make a statement that they are, too, a legitimate threat. Cardinals beat the Browns, destroyed them 37-14. People definitely said that the Browns would win this game because of everything going on COVID-related with the Cardinals, how they don't have Cliff Kingsbury and a couple other offensive I'm sorry, coaching assistants or coaching personnel, I should say. On the road, Browns needed a win. They were hot themselves, but nope. Cardinals decimated them 37-14, improving to 6-0, and remaining the only undefeated team in the National Football League. No one saw that coming for sure. Cowboys defeated the Patriots 35-29. I did sit here and say that I do believe the Cowboys will win, but I want the Patriots to win, and I could see them winning. So we'll kind of call that one a wash. Raiders defeated the Broncos 34-24. I did have the Raiders winning that game. But the Bron- that would have been a huge game for the Broncos to prove that they were legitimate. Might be falling off a cliff a little bit. Who knows? But good comeback, uh, good strong bounce-back win for the Raiders after losing to the Bears last week. Steelers squeaked out a win over the Russell Wilson-less Seahawks 23-20 in overtime. I was hoping the Seahawks would win that game, to be honest. But it is what it is. Good win for the Steelers to keep their season hopes alive, all things considered, in Pittsburgh. And then the Bills play the Titans tonight. 8-15 kickoff. I have the Bills winning that game. But we shall see. But that is everything that I wanted to talk about in regards to football. Patriots, Cowboys, going across the league. Da 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 da. Let's transition now to some baseball. Right? 
Red Sox were able to get a huge, huge win in Houston on Saturday. They were able to tie the series one-to-one with their Game 2 victory over the Houston Astros. I almost said Houston Texans. Listen, 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 listen. History was made. Two Grand Slams in one game for the Red Sox, one by J.D. Martinez, the other by Rafael Devers. They went up 8-0 early. Then Kike hit a home run, go up 9-0. But I don't know about you. Now, a lot of people on the radio were saying, oh, the game was over after 9-0, da-da-da-da. No. After it went up 9-0, the Astros immediately scored three runs. Now it's 9-3 to, now it's nine to three with a deficit of six. This Astros lineup is good. They had five innings to score six runs, which they easily could have done. Easily could have done. They would end up getting two more in the bottom of the ninth off a couple home runs. I did not feel comfortable at 9-0. Just because A is playoff baseball. B, you're going against the Astros lineup. C, your bullpen isn't all that great right now. The race series, they were very good. But so far through this series, they haven't been that good. It's just you can't take anything for granted. If you're able to score nine runs, you do it. And if you're up 9-0 and you can score more nine more runs, you freaking do it. It was great to see the Red Sox offense light it up early in the game. Four in the first, four in the second, and then another in the fourth. But the rest of that game, though, they were quiet. They got shut down the rest of that game. They weren't able to do anything offensively. Nothing. And it's concerning. Were they able to just get a little bit of luck in the first couple innings with those two grand slams? And then they just sucked the rest of the way? And if they didn't hit those grand slams, or if they only hit one, they still would have lost. Because you gave up five runs. Like, when you hit two grand slams in a game, playoffs or not, you should win. Absolutely. And they did. But you gave up three in the fourth to give them a little bit of hope. Then you gave up two in the ninth, albeit it was a two out, but still. But still, you won nine to five, and at one point it was nine nothing. You know, you give those Astros a couple more innings, would they have came back to one? I don't want to think they would, but it's something you got to consider. It's absolutely something you got to consider. My point is, and I've mentioned this during the regular season countless times, the Red Sox have a really, really, really good lineup. And they can get hot with the best of them. They can get scorching hot with their lineup. But on the flip side, like any good team or any bad team, you, they can get cold. They were scorching hot through four innings. Then they got iced cold in the ba- in the last five innings of the game. They did. It's a fact. You saw in the regular season, they would go games scoring 9, 10, 11, 12 runs. And then there would be games where they would lose by scoring no runs, one run. And I sat here. I was like, you got to get three runs at least every single night. You have to every single night. And I heard on the radio that when the Red Sox score at least four or more runs, they're like 80 and like 18 or something like that. Absolute ridiculous. 80 and 18. That was not including games one and two. They scored four runs in game one and they lost. They scored nine runs in game two and they won. So it kind of washes out a little bit. But that was like a, I don't know, like an 80-something win percentage. 85% win percentage. And there was countless times in the course of the season where the Red Sox were not able to score four runs. And they lost. And when they didn't score, they were like 10 and like 50 or some, something bizarre like that. It's just, you look back, you know, the regular season. We can look back as far back as the Yankees series, um, the end of September, not the playoff wildcard game, but that uh, third to last series. They lost 8-3, to 5-3, to 6-3. to three. Then they go play against the Orioles. They lose Four to two, they win six nothing. They lose six to two, and then against the Nationals, they win four two. 
5-3, They beat the Yankees in the wildcard game, 6-2. They lose to the Rays in game one, 5 nothing. They win game two, 14-6. They win game three, 6-4. They win game four, 6-5. They Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? Every win is with at least four runs. Every loss is less than four runs. Now, our lineup is so good that they can score four runs. No problem. But like I said, every good team has their ups and downs. They get hot and cold. Sometimes a pitcher for the other team is just having it that day. So the Red Sox need to be able to win games when they score less than four runs. I, I'm going to scroll through the season. I'm going to try to find the last time they won a game where they scored less than four runs. I couldn't tell you. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm still looking. They won 2-1 to one against the Tampa Bay Rays on September 8th. That was the last time the Red Sox won a baseball game scoring more, or sorry, scoring less than four runs. That blows. So if any of these remaining games was to be a pitching battle, a bullpen game, you know, 1-1, 0-0, 2-1, 1-0, I and you should have no faith in the Sox winning that game. You should have absolutely no faith in them winning that game or at least being able to win that game. Now, all it will take is one. All it will take is you know, one hit, one walk, one home run, one mistake by the Astros, whatever, for you to win that game by a run, whether it's one nothing, 2-1, 3-2, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I don't feel comfortable that they can do that because the way that, I don't want to say the way that this lineup is constructed, but just look at the track record. It's It's been over a month, almost a month and a half since they won a game where they scored less than four runs. And look at the bullpen. Look at the bullpen ever since the playoffs started. Five runs against the Astros in Game 2. Five runs against the Astros in Game 1. Five runs against the Rays in Game 4. Four runs against the Rays in Game 3. Six runs against the Rays in Game 2. Albeit four of those, or five of those, were against Chris Sale. Albeit. But still, pitching staff as a whole, right? Game uh, game 1 of the series, five runs. And then they were able to blank the Yankees by only scoring, only allowing two runs. This pitching staff is good at times, but overall, it's not that good. Yeah, you've had great moments by you know Ryan Brazier getting a clutch out, but then again, he gave up a couple runs against the Rays in Game Four. Yeah, Hansel Robles has been really clutch for you, you know, down the stretch and whatnot, but he didn't play, he didn't pitch very well in Game One. Chris Sale, your thirty million dollar ace. He struggled in starts. But it's not like you're going to throw him in the bullpen because who else are you going to throw out there? You, you have Nathan Nivaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, you got Nick Pavetta, but he's been so good out of the bullpen. It's just like you have a deep pitching staff. Your ALCS roster is constructed to be deep at pitching, right? Because you have Kike Hernandez who can play anywhere. God forbid something was to happen. You need him to play... Um, I don't know, third base, right? You know, he can do it. He can play shortstop. God forbid anything was to happen. You know, he can play the outfield. He can play the infield. You have that flexibility. You have Danny Santana on your ALCS roster. He can play just about anywhere as well. He can play the whole outfield. He can play the whole infield if you need him to. So you have a ton of flexibility with your lineup. Hence why you're able to carry maybe one more pitcher than say maybe an extra infielder. Right? This pitching staff. I have faith in this lineup. I do. Don't get me don't get me wrong. I have faith in this lineup to score runs. Because on the other hand, as much as I'm talking bad about the Red Sox pitching uh, rotation, pitching staff, the bullpen, all that, the Astros isn't any better. Like, yeah, oh, they have Zach Grenke. Well, he's like 37 and he's not the same guy anymore. Oh, but they have Lance McCullough. Yeah, but he's injured though this year. He's he's not even on the roster right now. Oh, but Justin Verlander, you know, he's out for the season. You know, so all those guys that people grew to love in Houston, 
are fading. All the Astros, you know, stiff bullpen arms. And it's just like they shut down. Once you got to the bullpen, it was over. They're not the same team anymore. They're not the same team from 18. They're not the same team from 19. Their bullpen is not the same. So if you can knock out the starter early and get to that bullpen and wear that bullpen down, you'll be in a good spot. So don't don't let me don't let me make you think that I think the Astros pitching is better. Cause it's not. This is a Boston Sports podcast. I'm gonna talk about the Red Sox bullpen more. And that's what I'm doing. Because I don't feel comfortable with this bullpen. Do I feel comfortable with a couple pitchers? Sure. When Evaldi's out there, I feel pretty good. Granted, anything could happen. He did give up three runs, but it is what it is. Generally speaking, I feel comfortable with Brazier, but I mean he had a rough outing against the Rays, so you never know. Hansel Robles he was doing fairly well. Then he gave up, you know, that home run to Carrera. Matt Barnes not even on the roster because he fell off the face of the earth, even though he's an all-star closer for you. Not even on the the ALCS roster. Didn't even initially make the ALDS roster. Um, Salamora, see you later. Josh Taylor, I feel pretty good as a lefty. You know, I think he's solid. It's just like, oh my God. If the Sox were to lose this series, it's going to be because of pitching. I really do. Because, I, like I said, I have faith that the Red Sox can score at least four runs in this series or in every game of the series. Is it possible? Yes. Will it happen? Not every night, but I feel confident that they can do it every night. So therefore, most of my worry and stress will be directed towards the pitching. If the pitching can improve and the pitching can be nails and shut down, you know, the Astros lineup, then the Sox will win this series. But until the uh, until the bullpen figures it out, it's still anybody's series because it's 1-1. Yes, the Red Sox have home field advantage moving forward. The next three games are at Fenway, but the final two are in Houston. So it's it's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky. But just look at the recent games. Look at the history for the Red Sox. When they score more than four runs, they're winning. Except the one game except game one against the Astros. When they're scoring less than four runs, they're losing. It's just a fact. So if the Red Sox can score four runs, they should win that game. If they don't, high chances they're going to lose that game. So keep an eye out for the rest of the series for that trend. But in game three, the starters, I believe, yeah. Eduardo Rodriguez will get the start in Game 3 against uh, Equity. What's his first name? I forget. Um, that's my drawer. I'm playing with the drawer again. What's his name? Equity. Um, oh, what's? Oh, I don't want to sign up. I don't want to sign up. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Julio? Jose. Jose Equity. I knew it started with a J. That. Oh, my God. Stop giving me the ads. Eduardo Rodriguez getting the start tonight in uh, in Fenway against Houston. Pardon. How confident do I feel? Right now, I feel fairly good. I like Erod. I think his last start was really good. Uh, you know, just get through five innings, right? Listen, I've harped and hounded on starting pitchers throughout the course of baseball. Be like, oh, you can't even get through five innings, you bum. Come playoffs, five innings is a miracle. Five innings is a complete game in the playoffs for starting pitchers. That's just how it is. If he can get through five game, uh, five innings, success. Obviously, five innings, seven runs, you know, 12 hits. Like, no, he's not going to see see that kind of a stat line. But if he can go five innings, the Red Sox score a couple runs, he gives up a run or two, whatever. As long as the Sox are in position to win the game through five innings of Eduardo Rodriguez, I'll feel good. I'll feel good. But if he gets bounced early, forget about it. Forget about it. It's just, uh, will the pitching perform? And will the Sox score four runs? Basically what it comes down to. So that is going to wrap up for my Red Sox segment here. I think, like I said on Friday, Red Sox need to split that Houston set series. The game's down in Houston. And they did. They easily could have won them both. I don't say easily. They could have won them both. They were on the brink of winning both of them. So if you want to look at it as the Sox have the upper hand right now, sure. But it's 1-1, so they don't. 
they are back in Fenway, so that does give them home field advantage. But they need to capitalize. They can't lose two of three here in Fenway. They just can't. They cannot go to Houston and expect to win the next two games in six and in game seven. At the minimum, at the bare minimum, you need to win two of three here in Fenway. Bare minimum, you have to win the next two of three. Going back to Houston, up 3-2. And if that doesn't happen, forget about it. Now, obviously, if they sweep these three games at home, well, they're going on to the World Series. They don't even have to go back to Houston. If they get swept, well, then they're going home as well. But that's just kind of where, where the Sox are at right now. Win two. Obviously, game three is pivotal. It'd be a great win. But just win two. I don't care what two. I would like it to be game three. One of those two games that they win be game three. Just win two. I feel the Sox are in a good spot right now. They split that Houston series. They have home field advantage now for the rest of the series. Well, all things considered. We'll have to wait and see. Game three. First pitch, 8-0-8. Jose Uquiti going against Eduardo Rodriguez. It's going to be a great game. It's going to be a great game. This series is good. But another good series is that Braves and Dodgers series. Who saw this one coming? Who saw the Atlanta Braves winning the first two games on back-to-back walk-offs the first time since 1997 when the miracle Miami uh, Florida Marlins at that time won the first two games of the World Series against the New York Yankees? Right? No, it was against the Indians. They played the Indians because that was the year the Yankees did not win. They won in 96, 98, 99, 2000. Yes, okay, it was against the Indians that they won the first two games off of walk-offs. Would you believe that? That was 24 years ago. And now the Braves have won the first two games off of back-to-back walk-offs. I, I'm not going to sit here and break down the game and be like, oh, da-da-da, you know, Justin Turner, Corey Seager, Mookie Bass, da-da-da-da. I just want to sit here and talk about how interesting this series has become. It really has. You know, Braves in the first game pulled out to a one nothing lead, then they blew it, then they tied it, and then they won it in the ninth. Then the uh, game three was kind of like the other way around where the Dodgers take the lead, the Braves tie it, Dodgers take the lead, Braves tie it, then the Braves won. This These two games have been back and forth. It really has been. It hasn't been a lot of high explosivity offense. It's not like three runs, two runs, one run, no runs, four runs in each of the innings. It's been one run, one run, one run. Next game, two runs, two runs, two runs, two runs. But still, though, this series is beyond interesting right now. Now, you know I'm a Dodgers fan because in 2006, Nomar Garcia-Para signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And at that time, I was like, ooh, I'm going to like the Dodgers now because my favorite player at the time signed with the Dodgers. I had no beef with the Dodgers. They never beat us in the World Series. I had no reason to hate the Dodgers. So I, I jumped on the Dodgers. And it's not like I'm a bandwagon fan because I've been rooting for this team. For 15 years, that's not a bandwagon fan anymore. Maybe the first two or three years, I'd say first few years, right? You're a bandwagon fan. But I have been grandfathered in into fanhood. Now, obviously, I wanted the Dodgers to win last last World Series. I wanted them to beat the Astros in 2017. I did not want them to beat the Red Sox because at the end of the day, the Red Sox are my hometown team. They're my favorite team. I will always root for the Red Sox. Against whoever, no matter what. But still. But still. Oh, yeah. And the the Dodgers National Series. I wanted the Dodgers to win in 2019. But in all honesty, I'm kind of rooting for the Braves here. Maybe because of the Boston Heritage for the Atlanta Braves. Maybe. Probably. But also because it's going to give us something different. If the Red Sox are not able to advance to the World Series and they do lose to the Houston Astros... I and the rest of the sports world is not trying to see another Dodgers-Astros World Series. They don't want to see the Dodgers in the World Series again. They don't want to see the Astros in the World Series again. That's just how it is. No one wanted to see them in the NLCS. No one wanted to see the Astros in the ALCS. It's honestly, it's like the Cavaliers and the Warriors a few years ago when LeBron was with the Cavs. It was just so damn predictable. I think the Braves' story is freaking awesome. They lose their best player in butting face of baseball in Ronald Acuna Jr. They lose their big RBI man, big bat Marcelo Zuna. 
Oh, what was the other pit? They lost someone else, too. Um, I was talking to my neighbor about it, actually. Um, oh, and then Mike Soroka. One of the, like, ace pitcher. Gone. So it's like, this team is performing above expected. They are dancing with arguably the favorite to win the World Series, beginning of the year and even now, in the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Braves, who obviously did not win nearly as many games as the Dodgers, who were way outside the playoff picture, and then they fought all the way back in to win the National League East, is now up to nothing. They took advantage of home field by winning their first two games at home. And if the Braves were to win the series, obviously they've had to have win one. But to win them both puts you in a tremendous situation because now the Dodgers need to win the next four of five games to win the series. That's why going up to nothing at home field is so crucial. That's why it was so crucial for the Red Sox to win at least one down in Houston. Because I do not believe that the Red Sox would have been able to win the next four of five games, regardless if it was at Fenway Park or not, if they lost both game one and two in the American League Championship Series. But now the Braves are up 2 nothing, having to go to L.A. for three games. If the Braves can win one of those games in Los Angeles, to bring it back 3-2 to Atlanta, I feel confident that the Braves could win it. Now, if it goes Game 7, I, I don't anything can happen in Game 7. We know that. No matter what sport it is, we know anything can happen in a Game 7. But if it can go back 3-2 to Atlanta, Game 6, I feel pretty confident that the Braves could win that in six games. See, it's completely different in the American League, obviously, because the Red Sox are tied 1-1. They didn't have home field for the first two games. It's just, oh, this is why I love baseball so much. This is why you should love baseball so much. Because there's so many different scenarios that can piece out. If the Braves go 0-2, they lose the first two games. Now they're going to Atlanta. And they're, I mean, now they're going back to L.A. and they're probably going to get swept. See you later. You know, But now the Braves are up 2-0. Now they're in a position to sweep them because they have all the momentum. They could go to L.A., win game three, and now that series is basically over. A lot can happen in baseball. A lot can happen. A lot can happen. A lot probably will happen in this National League Championship Series. A lot can still happen in the American League Championship Series between the Red Sox and Astros. And honestly, a lot will probably happen in both series. So definitely, definitely stay in tuned for the National League Championship Series and just keep an eye on it, keep an ear out for it, and stay in tune because that series, as pivotal and important and as focused as we are as Boston sports fans, Red Sox fans specifically, on the American League Championship Series with our series tied 1-1 coming back to Fenway Game 3 tonight. Just keep an ear out for the National League Championship Series. Just keep an ear out. Because that series, obviously, doesn't have our attention, is not as important to us. But it's also an important series nonetheless. And it's a quite damn interesting one because the Braves, who have home field advantage throughout this whole series, you know, obviously having the four games at home, are the underdogs. They're the Cinderella story here in comparison to the Dodgers. But ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, that is going to do it for today's episode. We talked so much Patriots, so much football, and then obviously just recently Red Sox, Astros, and then a little bit of the National League Championship Series. But regardless of what we talked about today, I want to hear your thoughts, your comments, your opinions, your suggestions, anything you want to talk about. Reach out to me on social media at Murph's Cardtown. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, leave all those thoughts, opinions, comments, whatever you may have that you want to talk about down in the comment section below here on YouTube if that, like I said, is where you're watching it. And if you are watching this on YouTube, please make sure you like this video if you enjoyed today's episode. And also, please consider subscribing to the YouTube channel if you are new or haven't considered subscribing yet. And if you are listening on audio-only platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Apple, Google, doesn't matter where. I appreciate you downloading, listening, and enjoying every single episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Before I wrap up today's episode, I did say that I will share with you my plan for Murph's Boston Sports Talk 100th episode. I did say at the beginning I will tell you guys if you stick to the end. And if you have made it this far, 
you will know that I, Murph, will be having a 100th episode live stream on YouTube. Yes, I will. Monday, today, is episode 97. Friday's episode is 98. Monday the 25th is 99. And Friday, October 29th is episode 100. Kim and I, your favorite, I know whether it's, you know, the podcast. I know she hasn't been on in a while, so she'll be on for the 100th episode. Or a YouTube channel, watching all the vlogs and stuff, seeing her on there. You guys love her. So she will be with me for that 100th episode. That 100th live stream episode. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so fun. We're going to talk sports. We're going to talk card shop. We're going to talk about this and that. It's going to be a great time. So definitely tune in for that. It'll most likely be, I'm not setting it in stone yet because obviously I have to close up the shop. It'll probably be around 8 o'clock, 8.15 or so when the live stream starts. So definitely stay tuned and stay alert for that update. But ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode, episode number 97 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I really, really appreciate you downloading, listening, enjoying liking the video if you're watching this on YouTube, commenting, and obviously subscribing as well as all of those forms of support are much appreciated, and thank you so much. But that is going to wrap it up for today's episode, and I will catch you guys on Friday. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you, and you know that I will always, always see you. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.